0: The main thing is to be careful, avoid the silly mistakes. So get a checklist, make sure that you follow that checklist as to these are the rules and from there you should be okay. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm.
1: Welcome to episode 289 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is about LRBAs, Limited Recourse borrowing Arrangements. We have spoken about LRBAs before, for example, in episode 183, we spoke about the basics of LRBAs. In episode 187 and 88, we discussed the joint purchase of a property through an SMSF together with a related party. And of course, the role LRBAs often play in that. And then, for example, in episode 223, we discussed the LRBA safe harbor rules. Today, let's talk about the practical implications of setting up an LRBA. Where exactly do you start? In theory, it all sounds easy, but what exactly do you do when? This is what Jeff Steen of Brian Steen Lawyers in Sydney will discuss with you in this episode. A trust, of course, needs trust assets. So if you want to have the bear trust in place, in theory, before you buy the asset, you need a custodian appointment, correct?
0: And yeah, this is correct. The concept of a bear trust deed or a bear trust is something that has been coming to the vernacular when we're talking with accountants about this is what uh, you need to have in place. And, and particularly some of the financial planners with a little bit of knowledge say, oh, you need to have a bear trust in place. And then you ask the next question, well, what is the property of the trust? and there's no property in the trust at that point in time. And the danger, if you prepare the document on the assumption that this is the property that is going to be in that bare trust is you can have a double stamp duty problem. So that is you can get stuck with stamp duty on the acquisition and you can get stuck with stamp duty on the separate declaration of trust.
1: I have a feeling it's quite common to create the custodian company before the purchase, but to only create the trust after purchase.
0: Creating the trust after purchase is not a problem because you're then doing it as what we call a bear trust, which is essentially reflecting the fact that the purchase price, the actual purchaser of the property or real purchaser of the property is the fund and the apparent purchaser of the property is the trustee or custodian. So when you do that, then the duty is only $50.
1: Okay. So as long as you have the custodian company in place before the purchase, and as long as it is, it is the custodian company that buys the property and not the SMSF corporate trustee, then everything is fine. You can create the bear trust after purchase. But if you wanted to do something beforehand, then you would do a custodian appointment.
0: That's right. And... What, what is a custodian appointment? It's simply saying the, the trustee of the fund simply saying, I appoint you custodian to be agent for the trustee of the fund to acquire property on behalf of the fund and you can name the property or not name the property in those circumstances, my suggestion is not naming. And then the custodian goes off, acquires the property, but does so only using funds from the super fund, and then after that time, if necessary, you can then do a bear a bear trust deed, which shows records the fact that the custodian has acquired the property only using the funds of the super fund.
1: Okay, so before purchase, you need the custodian company, but before the LRBA is put into place, you need the bear trust agreement, the bear trust deed.
0: The bear trust deed is one of those things which is simply recording the. Uh, the relationship, Um, the custodian appointment deed will do the job that is required under the uh, CIS legislation.
1: Let me say it differently. Before you set up the LRBA, before you actually enter the loan agreement, you need either the custodian appointment or you need the trust deed.
0: Yes, you must have something that records in writing the relationship. Otherwise, it is not obvious that the super fund is the owner of the property.
1: And then it is interesting that you say that it doesn't need to mention the property address and that you actually recommend that it doesn't me- mention the property address. That surprises me because I looked at an on provider and the first thing they asked was the property address.
0: I have no problem in, in adding the property address as long as it's a custodian appointment arrangement. I do have a problem if you're adding the address where it is a bare trust deed because if it's a trust deed, then it's a trust that you are entering into before you can prove that the funds to acquire the property have come from the super fund. And when you do that, then you've got a a trust that has been created or a settlement that's been created where there is dutiable property that is the subject of the trust. And dutiable property subject to a declaration of trust is subject to stamp duty in its own right. So you can get caught in a trap where you're paying stamp duty On the conveyance and stamp duty on the declaration of trust, but if you're simply doing it as an agency agreement, so you're not recording the trust, you're simply saying I am authorising you, custodian, and and you can name the property. I'm authorising you, custodian, to go out and buy, let's call it 25 Anzac Parade, Maroubra, right? And buy that property, and that 25 Anzac Parade, Maroubra is is named in the in the deed. There's no actual record of the fund having paid the amounts that are necessary to complete the purchase of the property at that stage. All that's happening there is you're appointing, as it were, a second trustee of the fund, because in substance that's what's happening, to acquire a specific asset. And the fund must indemnify that trustee for the acquisition, you know, for anything that it's doing as agent when acquiring the asset. But from an audit perspective, it's very clear that custodian has acquired this asset on behalf of the fund.
1: Okay. Different question. I've heard that different banks have different requirements when it comes to the um, bear trust deed. Is that and hence are looking for different clauses.
0: I think the banks change. Like the single bank can change its requirements over you know any period of time. If we look at, for example, I remember the first time I dealt with NAB. And the first one went through after some discussion with their in-house legal, as they were grappling with the new law. And over time, as different people have occupied different roles within the bank, they change their mind as to what they want. Oh, so you really? can't be yeah, you can't be certain at any one point in time that this is going to meet this particular bank's criteria. So each bank has their own criteria, and as you would have observed in the market, some banks have been in, and um and then some banks go out of this market.
1: And is it almost like that every banker requests something different? So how structured is it within the banks? Do the banks have a clear policy or does every banker kind of make it up by themselves when it comes to LRBAs and what they want to see in the trust deed?
0: In theory, the big banks have provisions where they're offering this as a product where they've got instructions for their in-house legal teams as to what to look for. Some of the banks will have a little bit of discretion as to how those officers review the deeds within those guidelines. And the other thing is, sometimes the banks simply have young people, young lawyers who don't necessarily have the experience. And so that if the clauses are not written out exactly as they appear in the guidelines, then there may be a request that the deed get changed to add a provision or delete a provision so that it matches what's in their guideline even though what might be in the document that's been prepared means substantially the same thing.
1: What are usually the points of contentions that cause hiccups around LRBAs? Is it um, around the trustee? Is it the automatic removal of the trustee in a bear trust? Is, is that a common point of contention or is it uh, other the, the main
0: point of contention is the, the right of indemnity that the bear trustee has, the custodian has, from the assets of the fund and the way in which the limitation works.
1: I see. So basically, to what extent the bear trustee can go after the SMSF assets? Correct. I see. But that's the whole point of the bear trust, so that the bank can't go after the SMSF assets.
0: That's right. But they want to make sure that the limitation allows them to have that asset and hasn't been written in a way where they think they can't even get that asset.
1: Oh, I see. So basically making sure that at least they have full access to the property that they are loaning to.
0: Yeah. And then the second step, what sometimes happens, is, and and I have to say I hate it when this happens because it just shows you that they don't know what they're doing. Properly they should check the superannuation fund deed as well, because it's the superannuation fund that's the borrower, not the custodian. And so they need to check the superannuation fund deed. Does the fund have these powers does it have a power to borrow does it have a power to grant security you know as may be limited or required by the act and does it have the power to appoint a custodian or a bear trustee to hold assets on its behalf so you want to make sure that your super fund deed has those powers in it as a minimum and obviously you also want the power to acquire the property whether it's real property or whether it's uh, shares or some other type of equities that is being acquired with the borrowed funds. And
1: what is it that you hate when the banks ask for the SMSF deed or when they don't ask for it?
0: Yeah, they don't ask for the SMSF deed and they want to see those powers in the bear trust deed. And it's just a complete misunderstanding of the relationship. Again, if I take it one step further, the custodian should not be exercising a power to borrow. But the borrowing in order to give effect to this must be done by the super fund.
1: Yes, the mortgage the contractual relationship is between the bank and the smsf
0: the mortgage isn't strangely because the mortgage is really a third party mortgage because the mortgage has to be granted by the custodian as the landowner but the loan agreement which the mortgage secures is between the smsf and the bank
1: so you need the following, and correct me if I'm wrong, you need the following, you need custodian appointment or the bear trust deed, and the bear trust deed is also called the holding trust or custodian trust or LRBA trust, the, the, that charge has yeah. many names. Yes. Then you need the SMSF minutes to set up the bear trust. Yes. I assume you also need SMSF limits to sign the loan agreement.
0: Yes, and and also to acquire the property.
1: Okay, so you need three sets of SMSF minutes then to set up the bear trust, to acquire the property and to sign the loan agreement? Yes. Then you need the registered mortgage and loan agreement?
0: You don't need a mortgage. Under the Act, it's not necessary that there is a mortgage. It's just, so for example, if I went to, let's call it the bank of mum and dad, and the bank of mum and dad says, I'll lend you money unsecured, right, as long as, the, you still apply the limited recourse borrowing arrangement, that is that the recourse that mum and dad have for their unsecured debt is limited to the property. You can do it without having a mortgage. It's it's not necessary to have a mortgage. And when you take back, I'm going to go into, into deepest, darkest history for a sec. These provisions all came about because at least one financial institution was going around marketing products as being suitable for superannuation funds which were largely instalment warrants. And those of us that can still remember in 2008 or thereabouts when this was introduced, the heading in the CIS Act for this section 67 was around the borrowing was was simply instalment warrants. And the idea behind the instalment warrant and the reason why it was a problem was that the warrant required the fund as the holder of the warrant to charge the asset with the payment of the deferred instalment. So it wasn't permitted under CIS at that time. So they brought in a rule which was yes, you can borrow subject to these rules. And then in borrowing subject to those rules, they didn't limit it to instalment warrants. They just let said you can go and borrow, and therefore that borrowing could be applied to buy real property, for example. So even mm-hmm. though the heading was still on, in the section was still instalment warrants, you could borrow to buy any asset.
1: It just surprises me that the LRBA doesn't require a registered mortgage because my understanding had been so far that to be at arm's length, no bank would loan you money without a registered mortgage. Hence, to be at arm's length, you need a registered mortgage. And I also wonder whether the LRBA safe harbour rules even require a mortgage.
0: Two things that you've just raised. So firstly, if you're borrowing from a bank, the bank's prudential requirements will require a mortgage. But my point is more that Strictly for CIS compliance, yes. a mortgage is not necessary. Okay, but for banking purposes, there's no bank that's going to lend money without a mortgage. However, it is possible for a super fund to borrow under these provisions with lim- limited recourse arrangements from a non bank, right, and not, and do so without a mortgage,
1: and not risk that it's deemed to be not at arm's length.
0: Well, the second issue, so it's it can still be at arm's length. There's nothing to stop an arm's So, for example, let me say that um, I'm going to lend to the Heidi Superfund and I've decided for whatever reason, um, you know, the Heidi Superfund doesn't want to have a mortgage or or, or secure you know, the asset in, in particular way. So I agree that I'm going to lend the money, but because I'm not taking a mortgage, the interest rate that I'm going to charge might be slightly higher than it otherwise would be. Right? So I might say, well, I can give you a mortgage with a, um, a rate of say 5%, or I can give you an unsecured and the rate's going to be 8% or 10%. The issue about non-arms length only comes up when, for example, if I'm borrowing from the bank of mum and dad and they're related parties, and then you're looking at the problems, which is, you know, is it now gnarly N-A-L-E, you know, non-arms length expense, because I'm not paying an appropriate rate an arm's length rate for the nature of the loan right? and that's where this issue about mortgage or not mortgage comes in but it doesn't deal with the fundamental compliance of the arrangement so to look at the documents
1: again we need a a custodian appointment or a bear trust deed b several smsf member minutes probably three and then we need a loan agreement when you put on a mortgage, it's basically just a caveat. It's actually not a mortgage contract as such, correct? So you have the loan agreement, the mortgage is just a caveat. It's not another contract, correct?
0: No, that's not correct either. Okay, so it's also a contract. Contract, and the mortgage is a a specific form. It's actually a deed, or it's a deed when it gets registered. If it gets registered, you can have a mortgage that is registered or not registered. And if you have a mortgage that is not registered, then you can protect as a lender, you can protect that unregistered mortgage by lodging a caveat. Or you can grant a charge over the asset. And that's another example of not having a mortgage. You can grant a charge and the charge will entitle the charge holder to lodge a caveat.
1: I see. So a mortgage is basically a contract and the contract says, if I fall behind with my payments on this other agreement, then you have the right to take the asset and to, to satisfy the debt out of the asset and give me the rest. That's basically what the mortgage contract says.
0: Loosely, yes. There's there's some imprecision in what you've just said, but I, I think that's a subject for another day. So but Loosely, that's exactly how it works.
1: So custodian appointment, SMSF member minutes, and then a loan agreement, and then in addition, either a mortgage contract if you have a registered mortgage, otherwise you just have the loan agreement, for example, with the related party. And you also said that an LRBA must, it isn't necessary for an LRBA to necessarily include a registered mortgage. You can also have an LRBA without a registered mortgage.
0: Yeah, and I'll give you another example. You can have an LRBA to buy, let's say, units in a unit trust. Okay, so it's not possible to have a registered mortgage over the units in the unit trust, but you can register a security, which is a, a different type of security over that asset. And that gets registered with the personal property security register.
1: So one basically just has has to look at the whole setup and say, and if it's with a related party, then the question is, would a third party invest in this? And if the answer is no, then it's not at arm's length. And if the answer is possibly yes, then it is at arm's length. Exactly. Now, which documents must actually identify the property? You already said that the custodian appointment and also the trust deed don't need to identify the property.
0: Now, if you're using a bear trust which is signed after completion of the property, then that should identify the property. A custodian appointment deed may or may not identify the property, but if you decide not to identify the property, then you should do a follow up. Bear trusted after completion, which does identify the property.
1: I've read somewhere um, a provider just kind of flippant said, just give us an address and you can always change it later. That actually could be a a huge problem for stamp duty or or, or not. Huge problem. Huge problem.
0: Yeah. Imagine if you're the auditor and you're looking at, at a document that has has one property in it that's been crossed out and another property has been inserted and you're going to ask, well, what's going on here?
1: And the same as another provider said, you can just leave the property blank in the trust deed, in the bear trust deed, you can just leave the property blank and fill it in later by hand. So that would be a huge problem as well, correct?
0: Yeah, um, I'm less fussed about that if a couple of other protocols are observed. Firstly, that the document is not dated So that essentially it's ready to go and it's held for a better time in escrow pending completion of the purchase of the particular property. And then it's dated after the purchase is completed and the correct property details are inserted. All you're doing there is simply having something prepared in advance that everybody can see this is what's going to happen. It's the same as submitting a draft document uh, in advance of a transaction.
1: So... We covered a custodian appointment and we cover trust deed. And then, of course, the loan agreement and the mortgage must identify the property.
0: Yes. Good.
1: So only with custodian and trustee,
0: there. And the reason for that is because in the loan arrangements, on the loan side, you have to make sure that recourse is limited to that particular asset. Right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, in order to limit recourse, you've got to specify what the asset is.
1: And now looking at the SMSF minutes to... Enter the custodian appointment. Of course, you don't need the SMSF minute to identify the property. If you do a bear trust deed, then the SMSF minutes should already identify the property. And then, of course, the SMSF minutes for the loan agreement should also identify the property, correct? Yes. Okay. Next question. Easy mistakes around LRBAs. Two come to mind. One is to have the wrong person, you know, to have the wrong legal entity by the property, meaning the SMSF corporate trustee and not the bear trust corporate trustee. That's the first mistake I can think of. And then the second mistake that comes to mind is that the deposit is paid from outside the SMSF and not from SMSF
0: funds. Absolutely. They're the two big ones. To try and unwind it becomes very difficult.
1: And then is another mistake to sign the trust deed before purchase of the property?
0: If you sign the bear trust before completion of the property, you can't prove to stamp duty that that's what's happened and therefore you are liable potentially for a second set of duty. Okay, But if it's just, again, a custodian appointment, if you're doing it that way, it doesn't matter.
1: And last question. I saw a note on the website of an an online provider of LRB documents and it said in the fine print, we strongly suggest appropriate advice documents are put in place place including an asset compliance statement of advice and and
0: (laughs) yes why did I laugh yeah
1: yeah why do you laugh I mean I I have an inkling why you laugh but please tell me
0: firstly you've just got to make sure that you've got an investment strategy in place so the investment strategy is what's required for the superannuation trustee compliance and that the loan and asset acquired must be consistent with that strategy.
1: But so that means another document that is required is an investment strategy and that investment strategy must already include the purchase of the property.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be the specific property and you don't need it for the transaction itself, but you need when you have started the fund to have an investment strategy and that strategy should be reviewed annually. But the asset compliant a statement of advice is about a financial planner that is telling a client, You should go and use your super self managed super fund and buy some property with it and uh, possibly pay me some commission while I've organized it for you.
1: Yes, and then of course, an accountant, a normal accountant without a financial advice license, doesn't have that. So, this statement of advice. Doesn't really make sense because, A, they can't say that anyway, even with a statement of advice. Yes. Does the providing of documents, like LIBA documents, et cetera, does that fall under under legal advice that you actually need a lawyer licence for?
0: I would have said that the preparation of documents that give rise to legal relationships is something that is legal work and requires a legal practising certificate. But I know that there are others that disagree with that.
1: Yes. So when you buy documents online, they are usually covered by a a, a lawyer and that's enough. That basically covers the accountant?
0: It covers the accountant in terms of as long as the the accountant hasn't been giving the financial advice to the client. So if the client says, look, I'd like to use my fund to borrow a property and the accountant says, well, go and see Jeff, he'll help you with that. Then that covers the accountant. If the accountant says, these are the compliance issues that you need to be careful of, the accountant is okay. But if the accountant says, I think that that's a really good idea and you should do that and you know, I'm going to help you with that, then this is where you're crossing the grey territory of, am I encroaching on giving financial advice to the fund or the trustees of the fund or the members of the fund?
1: Okay, so the issue is not so much about, does the um, accountant give legal advice? The issue is more: Does the accountant give financial advice? Correct. The really last question is: What do most of your clients do when they are looking at an LRBA? Do they go with a custodian appointment, which you can do before the purchase, and you don't list the address, or do they go with a trust, a bare trust deed, after the purchase, and then you know set up the bare trust deed with the address already in it?
0: Most of the clients that we work with do it on the basis that they're appointing a custodian that. Is authorized to acquire this particular property.
1: Uh, this particular property. So you're meaning the address is already identified? Yes. Oh, uh, really? But they basically do it on the way to the auction. So the when they know they want to buy this property, then they do the custodian appointment. But sometimes you don't get the appointment, you know, sometimes you don't get the property.
0: Yeah, in which case the, the custodian appointment then essentially lapses because they haven't been authorized, they haven't done it wired and then they just do another one and, oh, and okay. substitute yeah then and and do another one with the, the next address that they're going to use
1: i see okay so then it's just a quick email to the staff member of yeah and we reproduce the yeah and then you just create a new copy that is then signed again exactly can the custodian appointment be signed electronically or do you need to sign it personally is it like a trustee? I have trustee?
0: a strong preference for signing them personally.
1: I see. Okay, good. So that means the client prints it off every time, signs it, and then puts it aside. Yep. If the auction doesn't come through, they throw it in the bin and request a new one. If the auction comes through, they got it. Yep. And then the custodian appointment is like a trustee once the property is purchased, so they don't need... Uh, anything else, the custodian yeah. appointment is all they need, it it will become the trustee later on when the purchase has gone through, correct?
0: Exactly right. And yeah, we just build those provisions into the way we do it, but, but different do people do it in different ways. So I'm not saying that the way we do it is the prescribed way that everybody ought to do it. It's just, we think that this is the most effective way of doing it. The main thing is to be careful, avoid the silly mistakes. So get a checklist, make sure that you follow that checklist as to these are the rules. And from there, you should be okay.
1: Welcome back. So, it is all in the timing. In the next episode, episode 290, Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Melbourne will talk about how to structure the purchase of a hobby farm. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.